as a church want to exalt you. We exalt you because of your goodness. We exalt you because of your greatness and we exalt you because of your love for us, your great love for us, because of your grace. This morning we come here as one church to recognise that this is not our church, but it's Jesus' church. And we gather in His name because we want to give Him glory and we want to come under His Lordship and we want to grow to in His likeness. And when I look around this morning, I kind of, to me, it's like a miracle to see children, to see people young and old, to see a vast number of people gathering in a little township of Verdun to praise the name of Jesus. And we know that parts of our nation today and parts of our media and parts of our political landscape don't want to give you glory. In fact, are actively against you, God. But we are for you. And we want to give you all the glory and all the praise. This morning, Lord, I pray that in what is shared in this message and all that, is, that we do in our time together, it exalts the name of Jesus and gives you all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Is it good to be here this morning? Wow, that's great. Is it good to be here this morning? Fantastic. Let me just say uh, that I love uh, when we come together as, as one church. I love it because when we come together as one church, it doesn't ever feel to me like two random groups who are just sort of forced together for a morning. It feels like we come together as one church. And uh, last year, no, earlier this year on, on Good Friday, I remember looking around after the service at morning tea, and I, I don't know who it was, someone came up to me, and they said, have a look, Mark. They said, every single group here is a mix of Allgate people and Verdun people, every single group. And there's something about that that's really special. Now, I've got to say, uh, we've done a couple of birthday shout-outs this morning. Is there anyone's birthday that we've missed? I've just got to be, feel a bit bad if we missed anyone. No one else's birthday today? No? It's my mum's birthday today. <laughs> Happy birthday, mum. I'll get her to listen to the podcast or something like that. Um, so that's all good. Uh, secondly, I need to mention uh, that a couple of people here are wearing West Coast Eagles scarves. That is not a point for applause. Uh, I will be taking it up with the, uh, the elders. We'll be reconsidering their membership uh, of our church. Um, but uh, I also just want to say it's just so exciting what I see happening across the life of our church. And uh, just this week I was at a conference in uh, Brisbane with a whole bunch of uh, Baptist senior pastors of larger churches in Australia. And last year the conference was here in, in Adelaide at Ed Edwardstown Baptist, but I brought them up for a, a social event in the late afternoon and we went to dinner at the Stanley Bridge Tavern just across the road here. And I was talking to the, the pastors and I said, oh, we've actually, our church plant is located in that township. And they're just looking at me like, really? Isn't there more sort of, you know, within a 5K radius, more cows than people? Um, and I said, yeah. And I said, we, we started about three years ago, three and a half years ago with 70 people. I said, there's, there's about 400 people in that church plant. And uh, seriously, uh, they just about fell off their chairs. They were standing up, but they would have fallen off their chairs. Uh, people are just going, wow, that's unbelievable. And so across our church, I'm excited, not by numbers, I'm excited by the fact that people are growing in faith. 
I'm excited by the fact that children are coming to know Jesus. I'm excited about the fact that next Sunday morning I get to see a baptism in my church of someone, a young lad who's gone through a really hard time but God has touched his life and now he wants to be baptized. That's the things that I am excited by. And I don't say that to boast in how good is our church. I say that to boast in saying how good is our God. How good is our God? This thing is going up and down. I don't know if there's anything I can do to stop it. It's the bane of my life. I almost grabbed the Perspex uh, thing from Allgate and brought it here. But anyway, here we go. Um, this morning I want to share with us uh, and introduce something that is um, uh, close to my heart and something about a story that comes out of a story that touched my heart. And that is that this morning we're going to launch, if you've seen over here on, uh, on your right, uh, some signs for Baptist World Aid. This morning we're going to launch, uh, really before I preach properly, um, about a new partnership that we're going to enter into as a church with Baptist World Aid. And that, uh, the reason we're doing that sort of began with, I guess, a personal story for me. Uh, and that last year I got the opportunity uh, to travel to Kenya with Baptist World Aid for a week. And uh, it was an incredible experience. And uh, as you could imagine, there was so many different things in an experience like that that sort of touch you. One of the things I found, it was often the small things that impacted me, not the big things. A couple of the small things that impacted me were uh, that we drove past several uh, primary schools uh, on our travels as we got driven around Kenya on a bus. And every primary school I saw never had a single blade of grass on the oval. And uh, I don't know if we've got a photo of that. We'll see if we can bring that up. Uh, that's the school oval of one school. Uh, not only that, but I always saw them playing soccer. But I never saw them having an actual ball. They just had tape and string wound together. And that kind of impacted me as a, as a sports-loving Aussie bloke who sits uh, and knows my kids get to... Uh, play footy on an oval at lunchtime, well maybe a waterlogged oval, but uh, an oval nonetheless. That, that's one of the things that impacted me. One of the other things was going on a morning walk through the main town, uh, the main street, if we bring up the next slide, um, if we go on two more slides actually, that's the, o well, yeah, there we go, that's the main street in uh, a town where we stayed. And going on the morning walk I saw people out there in front of their shops, they would sweep together the plastic and the rubbish and then they would set it alight and burn it to remove it because they live in a town without what we just take for granted rubbish bins and uh, trucks that bring along and take it away and so uh, as we went on our morning walk around that township there was a smell of burning plastic filling our nostrils that stays with you third one and I don't have a picture for this was when uh, we stopped at a small village and a, uh, a group of boys young boys small boys came up to me and um, and I thought oh they, they want to give me a high five and so I was ready to give them a high five and then I looked in their eyes and I realized what they wanted was was money but it wasn't the fact that they wanted money it was just uh, as I looked into this young lad's eyes just the look it was a look of desperation to be honest but the stories uh, that I want to share with you uh, that really impacted me the, the most are not stories that that were heartbreaking they were stories that were exciting they were stories that that were gave me great joy and a great joy to be able to share them. I'll share really briefly three short stories. First is, if we go to the next slide, a story of a, of a, of a woman. And, and the, the exciting stories came from where I saw, we got to see the projects where Baptist World Aid were working uh, through Christian partners in Kenya, not just to make a slight difference, but actually to lift people out of poverty permanently. 
Because uh, best practice aid and development work doesn't just give people a handout, it actually empowers people and it changes their lives so that after a few years they can finish that project, move out and go to a new project because the people have had their lives changed. This woman's had her life changed uh, by advances in some education in ag agricultural practice. We've got a few farmers in this area, we've got a few people who help farmers in this, in this church. But um, if you're living in Kenya, you used to do exactly what the previous generation does, which did exactly what the previous generation does. Any farmers here will know that constant education helps have better outcomes. So Baptist World Aid goes in and doesn't give these people money, but gives them education, and that enables them to have better outcomes, enabled this lady to show us into her brand new house that she'd been able to build. I think that, and there it is. That was an amazing improvement on her previous house, which we also saw. The second story was, um, uh, was meeting these young lads in school, uh, some of whom had shoes, some of whom didn't. Kid on the, le on the, on the left there has got a jumper that's uh, seen better days. Um, but it's not about jumpers uh, or, or shoes that actually is most important for these kids. It's actually being well and healthy. And uh, again, education. We know very simply you go to the toilet, you wash your hands afterwards. That stops the spread of germs. How do we know that? We only know that, not because we're clever, but just because someone told us. We know that because we've been educated in that area. And these children haven't or hadn't till Baptist World Aid came in through a program. One of their aspects of their education was to teach them basic hygiene, which leads them to be able to go to school more because they're not sick. And that means uh, they've got a better life. Third one, uh, third story briefly, another program was talking to, uh, if we go back, these ladies here who had been trained up uh, to be volunteers helping uh, young mums who were giving birth. Because uh, the mums in the community uh, didn't go to the hospital when they had children because the hospital was either too far away, uh, most of the year the roads were, um, it was just too difficult to, um, to get there, the roads would be uh, impassable and also they didn't have finance for hospital or sometimes they had fear of going into a hospital. And so these women had been trained up and uh, they just had this incredible joy as they told us and this incredible pride as they told us about how they were working in their community to actually uh, improve the outcomes for mothers and their babies and children in the first year or two of their life. And I discovered that the way you change people's life is not by giving people a handout, which leads to dependency, but by but the power of education, which actually enables whole communities to be transformed. And so I came back after that and I, uh, I thought to myself, well, what are we doing as a church? What's our commitment as a church towards uh, uh, helping people in extreme poverty? And the reality is that our current budget as a church uh, towards uh, helping people in extreme poverty is a round number. It's, uh, it's zero dollars. And I thought, that doesn't sit right with me. And I know people do stuff in their, own, in their own lives, and I know that we support the Tier Christmas uh, project, and, and that's, that's well known and well supported. We're going to continue doing that, and that's fantastic. But I thought, what your budget is has got to reflect what you value. And so I thought, in some way, we've got to bring a change to that. And this morning, I'm excited to be able to share uh, that we are going to be entering into a church partnership, uh, not with Kenya, because actually the projects that we saw in Kenya were fully funded and were also coming to an end, and they were going to be moving out of those projects because the people had been lifted out of poverty. Uh, but we're going to do a new project with a neighbouring country in Africa, Uganda. Uh, why Africa? 
uh, because frankly, when you've been to Africa, it sort of gets, gets un indious, under your skin somehow. And so um, the, the people of Uganda have even greater need than the nation of Kenya. And uh, if you know the story of Uganda, there's been a lot of conflict in that, in that nation. There's also a lot of refugees coming across the border from uh, nations like South Sudan and, and streaming south away from current conflicts. Uh, so um, uh, this is going to be where we, our partnership is. And if we go on to our, uh, our next slide, uh, Uganda remains one of the poorest countries in the world. Uh, most Ugandan are farmers relying on good weather to grow enough crops to provide for their families. Rural communities have limited access to essentials such as healthcare, education, safe drinking water and sanitation. And, and for me, that, that's an interesting thing because when I was there, I talked about the soccer balls. Like, it's, it's sad to me that they don't have soccer balls. And then I discovered there's things that are actually more basic needs than soccer balls. <laughs> uh, basic, uh, safe drinking water, sanitation, healthcare and education. Uh, children at risk of marriage, child labour and child abuse. Women, children and people with disabilities are the most vulnerable in communities. We'll go on. But there is hope. In 2018, Baptist World Aid's Ugandan partner, Share an Opportunity, launched a, a new nine-year project in northeast Uganda to tackle these challenges. Uh, you, we will help support this work through our church partnership. And through the project, children will participate in ch child clubs where they will learn about their rights as children, the importance of education and healthy behaviours to prevent disease. Parents will learn about the dangers of child marriage. Families will learn new skills to improve their crop yield and increase their income. Uh, this is talking about, it won't just be about giving, we're going to seek to be uh, open, to be vocal, to be generous, to learn how to be fair and to be prayerful. I'll speak about that more in, in future weeks, future communication. But uh, we're going to hear the story of Anne, and I think this is the same story as the video, um, but uh, I don't know if it is or not. We're going to, hit, we're going to watch a video now and hear a story about uh, a young girl in uh, Uganda, her story. I'm in primary six. I'm child partner in Uganda. This is Anne's story. When I wake up, I hope my parents to sweep the compound, fresh water, and cook food. Anne is 13 years old, and just like other girls her age, she goes to school, studies hard, and plays with her friends. But things used to be very different. Anne lived in this tiny house with her parents and seven of her brothers and sisters. Life was a constant struggle. When a family is poor in Uganda, it means that children like Anne don't go to school, they work. When a family is poor in Uganda, it means that children as young as Anne get married. But Anne is not one of those children because she joined a child sponsorship project. My family received the training and took a loan from saving groups and constructed the new home. After the training, Anne's parents could grow more beans and eggplants to sell at market. They learned about keeping chickens 
and they built a better home for Anne and her brothers and sisters. Now, they can afford to send all of their young children to school. And it's all thanks to her parents' hard work, the Child Sponsorship Project, and an Australian child sponsor. Anne doesn't worry about getting married at just 13 years old. And she doesn't go to work, she goes to school. Be part of an incredible story like Anne's. Sponsor a child today. Thank you Australians for supporting us. <laughs> a story of hopelessness and despair. It's a story of joy and celebration of what can happen. So um, here's what we're setting as a goal for our church. Firstly, uh, this year we're going to set in our budget, a uh, relatively small amount I think, but it's to start $4,000 uh, within our church budget that we're going to give to this project. Secondly, we're going to give an opportunity this Sunday and over the next three Sundays for everyone to, to make a one-off uh, gift and our goal as a church is to raise a further $6,000 through that so that we could give as a church $10,000 this year and for the next five years. And further to that, we've got available over, uh, over in the table there um, some child sponsorships. And uh, we would love to see, uh, we've got 25 there, I'd love to see 20, 20, I'd love to see all 25 children sponsored by our church across our three congregations. And that if we were to do that together uh, with the $10,000 per year and the child sponsorship, uh, we would be able to make uh, a difference of $100,000 over five years as a church, which is significant. But I also know that if we, if we do that, uh, even that amount, uh, broken down into the, the ways that I've spoken, it'll probably mean that most of us won't even notice a financial impact. And yet the impact it'll, it'll make at the other end will be enormous. Um, we've got Steve Woods here, who is a brand new uh, state representative for, uh, for Baptist World Aid. He's a, a Baptist pastor himself as well. And um, I just want to give Steve uh, two minutes to, um, to share something, if I can find a mic. Can we welcome Steve up? Good morning. Two minutes. I thought you said 45 minutes. No. It's I just want to say it is really lovely to see some West Coast scarves around. I noticed that and it's, uh, I want to bring my greetings from the Port Adelaide Football Club and thank you for hosting us so well just a few weeks ago. Anyway. Thanks, uh, thanks Steve, for yeah, your time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's really good to be here and uh, to celebrate with you guys. And I just want to say on behalf of Baptist World Aid, thank you so much. Because as Mark said a little bit of our income makes a huge difference overseas. And you've seen that, you've seen to be, I don't need to sell it to you, I just want to say thank you. I just want to um, encourage you to think about how, um, here's, here's what I think, there are lots of people who sponsor kids individually and there are lots of people who do good things, but something special happens when a church comes together and does it and makes a long-term partnership commitment to, uh, to a community and uh, I was pastor of Wyala Baptist for 13 years and while we were there about nine years ago uh, Robin came up and we, uh, we started engaging with Uganda and um, you can't sponsor those projects because I think it's this week that that nine-year project has come to an end 
and all those kids have graduated. And not only those kids, there are kids that have left the program halfway through, not, be, not because things went bad, but because they actually got so quickly lifted out of poverty that they're going to a school somewhere else or their parents um, don't, need to be, don't need them to be in the program anymore because it doesn't just, it's not just for a kid, it's for a family and it's for a community. And so I'd encourage you, I'm going to hang around afterwards, come and talk, happy to tell you some great stories of what's already going on in, uh, in Africa and uh, happy to talk to you about child sponsorship, lots of other ways you can support as well. And I just want one thing on the table, there's an ethical fashion guide. If you want to think about how you shop better in terms of clothing, um, grab one of those. And uh, the other really exciting thing this time of the year is what we call matching grants time. So the government, with their shrinking foreign aid budget, are happy to, uh, to help. So every, every dollar that we give in matching grants time, the government can top up to, but up to $5 more. So um, uh, we, had, we had a sponsor just the other day who gave $3,334 because when you times that by six, it works out to 20 grand. So their three grand turned into 20 grand like that. So uh, it's a really good time to give and partner with us as well. So thanks so much for the opportunity. Love to talk to you afterwards. And thank you so much, Hills Baptist, for, uh, for supporting these communities in Uganda. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. All right, so that's what we're going to do. Now I get to preach on why we're going to do it. And um, it, it's extremely clear to me when you read the Word of God that God's concern for the poor and for the oppressed and for those with greatest need is uh, unquestionable. Uh, let me share with you three very brief scriptures before I share the main passages. First is Proverbs uh, 31 verses 8 to 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of the poor and needy. 1 John uh, chapter 3 verses 16 to 17. We all probably know John 3 16 to 17. This is 1 John 3 16 to 17. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And these people are our brothers and sisters. And uh, it's not enough just to say, well, I don't see them because I'm not looking, you know, out of sight, out of mind. We need to see and we need to demonstrate the love of God practically to them. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18 says this. Uh, this is Paul speaking to Timothy and for encouraging Timothy what he, he should speak to the church. He says, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And for me, that, that, it's just such a simple verse, but it's so profound and what a thing it would be uh, and what a challenge for me to encourage us as a church to grow in generosity in every area of our lives, to be a generous church. What a thing to, that we would be known as, a desire I would love to see, that we would be known as a generous church. People think about us as a church and us as people, well, that's a generous person, that's a generous church. That is what I'd long to be. Well, the main passage I want to uh, preach about this morning is from Matthew chapter 25. This isn't going to be on the screen, so if you've got a Bible or access to a Bible, you've got to uh, open it up. I'm going to have to keep having a drink. I've got a bit of a cold, a sore throat. 
to give my pink drink bottle. It's my daughter's. Okay, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again, uh, this is a parable known as the parable of the talents. Of NIV now calls it the parable of the bags of gold, which I like. Uh, here we go. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold bought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a pretty hard ending to that parable, one needs to say. Um, look, there's, I don't have a whole lot of time here, so I'm going I'm to highlight four questions I think that stand out to me from this passage. Four questions. And uh, here's the first one. First question is, essentially, what is your perception of and your relationship with God? Uh, we've lost our slides. They're coming up. Uh, you've got a loving father or is he a hard taskmaster? Is your fundamental understanding of God that he's a loving father or is he a hard taskmaster? It seems to me in this passage that at the root of the issue is the understanding of the three different men and how they perceive their master to be. Two of them uh, seem to perceive their master as uh, someone who had done a really lovely thing and entrusted them with an opportunity. They saw their master as a trusting master who had given them an opportunity, almost like the, gift was, the giving was a blessing. But the other man, the man who buried the treasure, he said straight away, I know you are a hard man. 
his perception was that the master was pretty much a hard taskmaster. And so that fundamental understanding led him to respond in a different way. When he was given the money, he thought, oh, what a terrible situation. He's such a hard man. He's a hard taskmaster. And I've got this. And, and, and uh, maybe he's thinking, if I blow it, then I'll have nothing. And, and so uh, his response is one of fear. Fear of the master's potential anger and so his actions became like a self-fulfilling prophecy and he went on to cause the very thing that he feared because he didn't act uh, in a way that the master would have wanted to him but the other men perceived that they had been entrusted with something by a master who was a trustworthy master it strikes me that our relationship with money is going to be completely dependent on our perception of who God is if we live in the understanding that we've been blessed by God, that God has just poured His grace into our lives, then it's going to change how we want to respond to the needs around us of others. We're going to want to extend that grace. We're going to want to bless others. We're going to want to give because our God is a giver. So there's the first thing. Second question is this. Do we see, do you see what you have as earned by you or entrusted to you? Earned or entrusted? Now, society's got the view uh, that basically what you've got is, you know, you've worked hard for it. Uh, someone I know, someone I, uh, a friend of mine, recently I saw a, a Facebook post and, and he was uh, enjoying um, uh, a meal out, a fairly extravagant meal out. Um, not having a go at him, um, but uh, he's a good guy, very good guy. He was tasting some very, very expensive wines, and he, he's in a position where he's able to do that. He's been very, very successful, extremely successful. And uh, so someone wrote on the Facebook message, good on you. You've earned it. You deserve it. And to some extent, you know, to some extent I agree with that, but the fundamental question is, how do you perceive what you've got earned or entrusted? Earned or entrusted. You know, the same with retirees. The idea you've worked all this time and you've earned it. You know, you've earned those franking credits. So uh, um, you can go and spend your franking credits now that you've still got them. Um, and that's okay. But the biblical view has at its heart the idea that everything we have got, everything we've got is ultimately a gift. It's ultimately a gift. I've worked hard. I work hard every week. I get my pay packet. To some extent, yes, I earn that. And I've earned and worked hard to get into whatever position I'm in. And all of you guys have as well. There's no denying that's true. But I'm telling you, the opportunity we've been given in this nation, the capacity we have in this nation to build wealth, to have comfort, to have all sorts of stuff, uh, the blessings of God that I've spoken about, the spiritual blessings. What we have is gift. I spend a lot of time with my kids when I pray for them, pray with them, praying prayers of thanks. I want my children to know that what we have is gift, is a blessing. And so therefore, uh, what I have has been not earned by me ultimately, but entrusted to me. Can you say the word entrusted? That is, the, that is the core word of this scripture. That these guys came and said, you have entrusted. You have entrusted this to us. God has entrusted stuff to you because 
ultimately, it hasn't been earned by you, it's been entrusted to you. Third question is this, whose kingdom are you building? Whose kingdom are you building? Is it God's kingdom or is it your kingdom? Am I here to build the Sanders kingdom or am I here to build God's kingdom? That's a question that's, that's at heart. If I'm here to build my kingdom, then, then absolutely it's about material gain. It's ultimately about the pursuit of happiness for me and my children. And it's all about pouring into the next generation so that my kids are happy. That's number one. That's the number one goal in life, to pass it on and make sure my kids are happy and successful. Well, that's important, but that is not the number one reason we're put on this earth. As believers, we are put on earth to build God's kingdom. To build God's kingdom in every way. You want to read about what it looks like when someone chases their own success for their own benefit, their own glory? Read the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon gains the whole world and gets to the end of it and says, you know what, I've been chasing after the wind. All of this material gain I now realize is ultimately meaningless. We've got to have a different perspective on life. God is our king and the purpose, our purpose is not to pursue our comfort and happiness but the increase of his kingdom which every one of us have been entrusted with gifts and with time and with material talents which we can invest. And that leads to, uh, uh, I was going to say, yeah, the, the ultimate irony I believe is when we start to live to invest in God's kingdom, we discover deeper purpose in our life, which actually leads to greater happiness and joy anyhow. The last one, uh, last question is this. Uh, it's a very simple one. There's three options. Uh, it's a mentality that we've got. Hoard, spend, or invest. Uh, you know what? There's something about this parable that's kind of challenging. It kind of seems difficult because the, 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 the guy that gets the one talent, you know, he doesn't actually go and waste it. Like there's a story of the prodigal. You know what the prodigal did? He got the money and what did he do with it? He's off, to the, he's off to the heart of the city to go crazy. But this guy didn't do that. He didn't go and burn the money. He actually delivered the money back. It seems almost harsh. Gee, whoa, he's been thrown outside and this seems a bit sort of, a little bit unfair. Uh, but what he did was he didn't choose to invest it he just hoarded it and we've got these three options where it's about accumulation where it's about excessive spending or where it is about investing investing in God's kingdom and uh, you know what like I'm I guess I want to say here very practically we all have to manage financial resources it's reasonable for us to to save and to live reasonably well and to have things and to you know do the stuff that we're able to do in this country and I'm not wanting to put some massive guilt trip out but what I want to say to us here this morning is that all of us in the area of finance and for that matter in the area of your gifts and for that matter in the area of your time we all have capacity to invest in the kingdom of God in some way and the, the model of the church, a church that is thriving and healthy, is one where every person has got the concept that says, well, I've got something to give to God's kingdom. I don't even have to give some great thing. I don't have to be the most talented person. I don't have to be the person who's got the most time on my hands. And I don't have to be the wealthiest person. But I just know that God's entrusted me with something, and I'm going to use that gift, gift to build up His kingdom in some way. And when 
you know, what are we, 900 people start to do that, then there's an incredible power to make a difference in this world. And that's what I call us to. So there remains the question, what are you investing in? In God's mission and in God's justice, or ultimately are you hoarding or are you primarily spending? Is that your mindset? Why should we enter into a project with Baptist World Aid? Well, one, because I believe God's word calls us to. Two, because I believe in the Bible being committed to mission and to justice are never mutually exclusive options. It's not either or, but both. And third, because we have a power to make a huge difference. So um, let me come back to that uh, opportunity I've spoken about. How can you be involved? Uh, Just to make it really clear, firstly, your regular giving to the offerings of our church, as Anthony has spoken about, is really important. We are increasing this year how much money we want to give away to mission and to aid organizations. We're increasing the amount we want to give out uh, in faith, believing that we want to encourage people to give towards that and that that'll happen. Secondly, with Baptist World Aid, everyone's received one of these uh, on the chair, every second chair. Um, Grab one of that or grab one of these. If you want to find out more about Baptist World Aid, because our church hasn't spoken about it in the last seven years, we're now uh, starting to do that. Baptist World Aid is, of course, the aid arm of Baptist Church. Grab one of that. You can read some of the details so you've got some confidence in what you're giving to. But we're aiming for $6,000. Uh, I'm not the best mathematician, but I think, I'm pretty sure, that that's uh, 60 people giving $100 or 100 people giving $60, and we hit our target. So it sounds, I don't know whether that sounds big or small to you. I'd like to think it sounds small and that we can do it. Uh, lastly, uh, child sponsorship. We've sponsored uh, a child for uh, many years, uh, Samson. And uh, over here we've got 25 young children from Uganda, from the areas where the projects are working, who need sponsorship. Uh, I'm going to show you three of them. First one here, I'd love someone to, uh, I'd love someone to sponsor Emmanuel. Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. There's a little reminder every day if you sponsor Emmanuel that God is with us. Emmanuel is born in 2012. That makes him seven, I think. Um, I'd love someone to sponsor Emmanuel this morning. He's a great lad. Uh, second one, uh, another great name, Elvis. Elvis needs a sponsor. Um, Elvis, of course, was the king. And uh, so you can be reminded every day that we are uh, wanting to be generous towards the king of kings. Uh, okay, that was a bad joke. Um, sponsoring, uh, sponsoring Elvis. And uh, Elvis, what a legend. Okay, the last one. This is a beautiful name. Gracious. This is Gracious. And Gracious is nine years old. And my daughter's nine years old too. I would love someone to sponsor Gracious this morning. When you sponsor someone, of course, you make a a one-off gift. It's very powerful. It's significant. Uh, When you sponsor a child, it's an ongoing journey. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, If you don't sponsor a child, I'd strongly encourage you to consider that this morning. Let me wrap it up by sharing with you uh, a story about mangoes because I'm sure that that you're expecting that. When I went to Kenya, uh, we went into a market town. It was the first day of our journeys, and uh, we bought some some supplies and stuff. 
but I bought a bag of mangoes because a bag of mangoes for about eight mangoes there cost uh, about the equivalent, I think, of about $2 Australian for eight to 10 mangoes. I'm thinking a mango going for 30 cents a mango, that's a good deal. So I bought some mangoes, and then as we traveled different places, I discovered that uh, there's quite a lot of mangoes in Kenya, and we were given mangoes at different times, we were given lots of food, and I didn't need to open up my bag of mangoes. But as we went around to all these different locations, you're wondering, where is this story going? Um, so we went around to lots of different locations. I kept carrying around these mangoes, and they, they, they started to get a bit knocked about and a bit bruised. And then the van we were carrying, I had them sitting down. I didn't realize I was sitting on top of the engine. So the lower part of the mango started to stew a little bit. And then I got back to the hotel the last day before we were left. And I've still got this bag of mangoes. I can't eat this bag of mangoes now. I don't really know what to do with them. And, um, and we're back at the hotel, so we're not really around anyone with need anyway I'm thinking what do, I, what do I do with this bag of mangoes do I just put these mangoes in the bin so I'm just feeling conflicted about these mangoes I think like it would just seem so silly to put them in the bin at the same time I don't I feel like I'm cheap to be donating something so damaged and and I'm thinking like there's needy people but do they, do they really need would they really want these mangoes now so our bus driver who was a Kenyan guy I said to him I said um, uh, I can't remember his name. It was a biblical name. Let's call him. Uh, let's call him uh, John. Um, <laughs> I said, John. I said, look, I've got these mangoes. I don't know what to do with them. They're, they're pretty damaged now. I said, shall I just throw them in the bin? And he, he like, uh, he just grabbed them. He just straight away said, he said, no. He said. There are people who will take these mangoes. There are people who want these mangoes. And I just realized that some beat up, damaged mangoes that I'd bought for $2 Australian and then I'd treated them poorly and, and they, they didn't, they just seemed like maybe I should just throw them in the bin. Even they were something that to him were just like, oh my goodness, this is something that I can take and give to someone and they are going to be so blessed by it. I was thinking maybe I should just throw it in the bin. And I guess I just say that to say that wherever you're at in your life, whether it be your gifting, and you see other people and you go, they got so much more than me. And I, I've, my, my gifting feels like a, a, a bruised mango. <laughs> it's all I got to give. Or, or you think, you know, I'm so busy in my life. I don't have much time to serve or be part of anything. Or you think, you know, hey, I'm financially stretched and, and other people I look at, they're really wealthy. They've got, you know, hundreds of mangoes. I've just got a couple of beat up mangoes. Our little, and you don't realize this till you go to a developing country and you don't realize this till you get out of the tourist areas of a developing country. Our little can make a colossal difference in the lives of people. Just as small prayers can make a colossal difference in the lives of people. Just as a small word of encouragement can make a difference in the lives of people. Just as a small uh, 
word of, of just sharing something about the gospel with someone can make an amazing difference in the lives of people. Sometimes we think we've got to do huge things. And this morning, I just want to encourage you that just doing small things can make an incredible difference. And that this morning, even this morning, by supporting what we're offering, uh, you can change a life today. You can actually change someone's life forever in just a small way. Because we have not earned what we have. What we've been given is a gift. We've been entrusted with much. And we have been charged as people who have come to know the incredible grace of God. We have been charged with the great responsibility with God's help by His Spirit to build His kingdom. May we be a generous church for the glory of God so that we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed. Hope revealed. Let, would you pray with me? Father, I, I just want to pray that you would stir our hearts, not in an emotional way, but in a deep way in which you, are, you speak to us individually as you know us individually, you know our heart and you know our circumstances. But uh, may you lead us deeper into the knowledge of your great love and your great generosity. And may we just be changed day by day to your likeness. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.